grab your copy of the Bible and go with me to Acts chapter 20. If you didn't bring a copy with you today, the words will be up on the screen in just a moment, as well as in the chair racks around you uh, under those seats, you'll see some black uh, English Standard Version uh, uh, copies of the Bible. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, uh, we would love for you to have that as a gift from us. Uh, you can take that and uh, use it. We just ask you to use it and read it, right? Uh, take it, and uh, we don't want you to have a stack of about 12 of them at your house, okay? Uh, but if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you that as just a gift from the point. We're looking at Acts chapter 20 and verse 17. Uh, we're actually going to go through the end of the chapter. Don't let that scare you because uh, I'm going to move quickly through this. I'm also not going to read the text at the beginning. I'm going to read it as I teach through it. As I preach to you a message I've entitled, Empowered to Serve. How many of you parents remember the first time that you turned one of your children loose driving? How many of you remember that? Uh, you remember how stressful that was? I mean, it was stressful enough to sit in the front seat uh, with them uh, during that uh, learning period, that, uh, uh, what do you call it, get your, get your permit. And then what they call it, you have your permit for a period of time before uh, you get turned loose. And we have to constantly remind ourselves that somebody was patient with us, right? I mean, someone else uh, helped us to learn the rules and, and would talk to us about safety and, and so forth. My dad, my dad is in heaven today, so he doesn't have to repent of this. But one, one day we were going on the on-ramp of the interstate in Birmingham, and he pulled over uh, there to the side, and he said, Son, I want you to drive. Now, the problem with that was, was really twofold. Number one, it was a five-speed Vega, uh, so I had to shift gears, right? The second problem with that was I was 13 years old. Third, please don't, we have some police in the room. Please don't arrest me today, okay? Uh, but I was 13 years old. Some of you were younger than that uh, the first time you drove. But, but you remember, you know, uh, the manual, uh, taking a test, uh, someone, uh, someone teaching you how to drive. I, I, with Rebecca, our oldest daughter, she's 24. I had a, a five-speed uh, Honda Accord when she was learning how, and I made the mistake. I thought I'll just go ahead and get with it and teach her the manual transmission right off the bat, and uh, that did not go well. Uh, I remember the day we were in Lillian, and we were going through the intersection there. Uh, we took off kind of coming from Highway 99. We took off, and she was nervous because there were two or three cars behind us, and, and uh, she's in first gear. And we're going through the intersection in first gear, and the problem was the motor was over 5,000 RPMs. You all with me? Okay, and she and I will never forget that moment when I said very excitedly, okay, you can go to second gear now, right? Uh, it, was a, it was a struggle. She said, but Daddy, there's people behind me. I said, baby, there will always be people behind you uh, while you're trying to drive. And then came the day when uh, she had a little two-door green Honda. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget. She drove out of our subdivision, and I watched her drive away, and for the first time, we had turned her loose to drive. How many of you know that my prayer level went to a whole other level, right? I think you can relate to that in being turned loose. Many of you are uh, in the military, and so you go through your training, and, and uh, you're, you're going through uh, the classroom, and you're going through book learning, and you're going through instruction, and, and then as it is, there comes a time where you get turned loose, right? You get turned loose to do the job that, that you have been trained to do. I give you those two illustrations because I believe that is exactly what is happening 
in Acts chapter 20 and verse number 17. Uh, Some refer to this section as Paul's farewell address. Others refer to it as a legacy speech, if you will. Paul is compelled by the Holy Spirit to leave the city of Ephesus and to go to Jerusalem. So he has reached a point in his ministry in Ephesus after three years that he has to say goodbye. Uh, The people that he has led to Christ, those that he's baptized, those that he has discipled, those that he has put in positions of leadership, eldership in the church, now he gathers them together to give them a goodbye. He is He's turning them loose to do the work of the gospel, the work of the kingdom. Now let me pause here for just a second and say that you do know that all Christians reach a point where we are turned loose, right? You do know that the Bible teaches that we all reach a point where we are to go, just as uh, Ben and Shelley shared their story with us today and, and their life as, as, uh, as missionaries. We're, uh, we're, we're, not, we're not to stay at home. Even those that have not surrendered to, to full-time ministry or full-time career mission work, we are all sent ones. Jesus said, even, even so send I you, sent out. Am I speaking to Christ followers today? Y'all sound real excited about it. Am I speaking to Christ followers today? Am I speaking to Bible believers? Am I speaking to people who have been radically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm not talking about perfect. None of us are perfect. Praise God, we are forgiven, right? We're not fully fully mature in Christ. We are, we're always growing. But here's what we find in the Scriptures. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are empowered to serve Him. We're empowered and called to give our life to Him. We're empowered to take what we have seen and what we have heard and what we have learned and what we have experienced and we are to go and to live out our faith. Look in the Bible with me in Acts 20 and verse 17 a really good passage for the first sunday of 2019 empowered to serve the lord now as paul gives them this farewell address i want you to notice first of all that he challenges them to completely surrender to the lord completely surrender to the lord look in your bible verse 17 from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to them, and when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verses 17 through 21 are a review for Paul. He gives them a review of what they have observed in his life. I have highlighted, marked in my Bible, that phrase in verse 18, you yourselves know how I lived among you. In other words, Paul is just saying, hey, you've been watching me. You've heard me talk. You've heard me teach. 
Uh, you've seen my passion. You've seen how I've invested my time. In other words, Paul was saying, as you've observed me in my life, I have left no doubt. I've left no doubt that my life has been radically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. There, there aren't any questions, okay? None of you can question whether or not my life is fully devoted as a follower of Jesus Christ. I must admit to you in my 27 years of ministry that I've been a part of a lot of funerals. And no, no funeral is easy. Death is never easy. But I would add that it is much easier as a preacher of the gospel to speak in a service where the person that passed away left no doubt about their faith in Jesus Christ. I, I, I'm telling you, it is, a, it is a horrible thing. It's a difficult thing. It is, we would say it's some tough sledding to perform a funeral for someone who left question marks, for someone who left doubts, or, or take it even further than that, for someone who had no testimony of faith, no engagement in the kingdom, no engagement with the gospel, no engagement with the church. That is tough. But when you know someone lived a life in such a way that they left no doubt. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Let me ask you today, is that the kind of life you're living uh, Paul said, you, you know, you know how I have lived. In other words, there are eyes upon me. There are ears listening to me. Church, I remind you today that people are watching us. People are listening to us. People are observing the patterns of your life. They're listening to what you care about. They're listening to how you invest your time and, and what you give yourselves to. Yes, we live for the audience of one, but the Bible says that we are to, to be an example, right? We're to live out our faith in front of others. And, and Paul says that actually twice in the text, in verse 18 and again in verse 34, you yourselves know, you know, you can see how I have lived my life. I was uh, with someone this week and we were discussing some different things and I don't know really, you, you know how you get in a conversation and you start here but you end up over here and you don't have a clue how you got there. Uh, that was that kind of conversation. And uh, a friend of mine, we landed We landed with him discussing Irwin Lutzer and uh, used to be the pastor, a long-time pastor of the Moody Church, and a sermon that he preached out of 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 7. You know in your Bible reading, you've read it about when Samuel goes to Jesse's house and he's going to pick the, the king, right? And he gets there and he begins to scan over Jesse's sons and he catches eyes with Eliab. And Eliab is that big, strong, strapping uh, kind of a guy. Got the, you know, got the physique and the look of a great military leader. And, and you know, Samuel's kind of eyeing him and thinking, this is the one. And what does the Lord say to him? The Lord says, no, no, that's not the one. I have refused him. And we know the rest of the story. He ends up going to that obscure uh, place. The youngest, David, the shepherd boy, and he actually becomes the king. But, but I've heard a lot of sermons through the years in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, where it says, no, no, that's not him. Do not look on his countenance. Don't look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've refused him. And then that last phrase says, because man looks on appearance, man looks on the externals, but God looks on the heart. Now, I've heard a lot of sermons out of that passage, and they they primarily focus in on the fact that God's looking on the heart, and that is true. I would just say, you know, today, it doesn't matter how well you're dressed or, or, or so forth, God's not looking at my outfit right now. He's looking at my heart, right? 
Amen, Pastor. You know, God, God's not impressed with your, you know, your nice clothes or whatever it is. I've heard a lot of sermons about that. God is looking at my heart. He's looking inside of you. But Erwin Lutzer says something that we miss in that passage is the phrase that man does look on the outward appearance. In other words, people are watching you. People are drawing, people are drawing conclusions about you. People are observe, your neighbors are observing you. And they're drawing opinions about your testimony of faith. And I'm just asking you on this first Sunday of the new year, okay? As we approach this new year and really the rest of our life, the days, weeks, and months ahead, are you living and are you going to live your life to where you leave no doubt about your faith in Jesus Christ? Are you completely surrendered to the Lord? I was listening to a, to a podcast this week and the pastor said something that caught my attention. He said, at our church, we, we never sing the hymn, I Surrender All. He said, we never sing that. And he said, the reason we never sing it is because I don't want to lead our people into line in the church house. Now, I thought about that for just a minute, and I thought, you know, that's a pretty good point. Because here's the truth. I found it in my own life, so I'm not just stepping on your toes. Somebody walking out the door today said, you stepped on a couple of my toes today. And I said, well, next Sunday I'm going to get all ten, okay? Here's the truth in my own life. We say words like, I surrender all, and what we really mean is, I surrender some. We're not completely surrendered to the Lord. I'm talking about sold out to Him. I'm talking about life, life completely given. That's what you see in this man, in Paul's life. He's challenging them to observe the testimony by the way that he is, the, the way, verse 19, the way he has served the Lord. How has he served the Lord? He said, I have, I have served the Lord. I've given my life to the Lord, and I've done it with humility. You know, if we're not careful when we serve the Lord, sometimes, especially if we experience some form of success, pride can creep into our lives. And we forget that it's not about us. It's all about Him, right? It's not about my name. It's not about the name of this church. It's not about a denomination, it's about the name above all names that we sang about a minute ago, right? It's the name of Christ. It's all about Jesus. We serve the Lord with humility. And I'll add to that, some people that have to struggle the most with that are people that are in ministry like myself, pastors and church leaders. You're in a position of leadership and people tell you, man, you're doing great or you preached a good sermon, you're doing a good job. If you're not careful, you'll begin to believe what people are saying. And your head will become puffed up. I love, I read about this week about George Whitfield, a great preacher in the Awakenings. And Whitfield, they say, would preach to twenty to 25,000 people. Can you believe that? With no Bose PA system. He would preach. It said that Benjamin Franklin questioned that and wondered if that was really real or going on. Whitfield would go into town. The news would begin to spread. Whitfield is going to preach here. And it said that people would take their hands off the plow and head just to hear this man preach. Benjamin Franklin said, I'm going. I want to know if this is true. Franklin starts at the very front from where Whitfield would speak. And he works his way all the way to the back of the crowd and concludes, wow, this is true. Twenty to 25,000 people can actually hear this man preach. 
Whitfield, of course, no doubt, people love to hear it. They'd travel miles to hear it, and they would, they would say to him, oh, you know, great sermon. Oh, that was awesome. You did a, such a great job over and over and over again. And Whitfield trained himself to all of those compliments, and it said that on, on many occasions he would, he would walk down from preaching a sermon, and someone would say to him, man, that was great. And Whitfield would respond with this sentence. He would say, yeah, I know, the devil told me the same thing when I walked away. In other words, the devil's trying to tell him how great he is. What a great job you're doing. What a great preacher you are. We do not serve the Lord for personal affirmation and for ourselves to be built up. We serve the Lord for the glory and honor of His name. Amen? We serve the Lord with humility. He said, I serve the Lord with tears. I believe those tears were probably both joy-filled tears and tears of sorrow. I've served the Lord with hardships. He mentions in the text that the Jews were constantly plotting and, and coming after him. And his ministry was not always easy. We'll see in just a moment there were imprisonments and afflictions. But, but, but Paul says, I'm serving the Lord. I'm serving him even through the hardships. And even when times got tough, verse number 20, he says, I did not shrink away from declaring to you what you needed to hear. Because I knew that what I was sharing with you, it would be profitable for you in your life. I've taught you in public. I've taught you in private. I've gone from house to house. And look, I, I, I've not I've been discriminatory. I have, I have preached both to the Jews and to the Greeks. Everywhere I go, I'm telling everyone to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. As you read this text, is there any doubt in your is there any doubt in your mind not that Paul was Jesus, not that Paul was perfect or he was sinless? Is there any doubt in your mind that Paul was completely surrendered to the Lord? Look at me, look at me church. Kingdom work in Christianity is not about superstars. It's about boots on the ground. It's about every single one of us being completely, not, per, not sinless, but completely surrendered to the Lord. So I ask you today, this first Sunday of 2019, in your life today, are you completely surrendered to the Lord? Have you given Him everything? Paul challenges them, surrender, give your all to the Lord. The second thing he challenges them to in verse 22 is he challenges them about this matter of being led by the Holy Spirit. Being led by the Holy Spirit. Look at 22. He says, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, next phrase, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Let me summarize those verses for you if I may. What Paul is saying is that the Holy Spirit is leading me in another direction. 
he gives us the example. He models for us what it means to, to do what the Holy Spirit tells us to do. As a matter of fact, the word constraining there is literally the word to tie up or to bind. The Holy Spirit has tied me up and telling me to go to Jerusalem. Now what's interesting is the best we can tell at this particular time, things were going well in the city of Ephesus. The church was going well. The church was growing. The church uh, was, was, of course, experiencing discipleship and baptisms. And, and things appear, appear to be healthy. And so the question is, why would Paul pick up and leave? Why not stay there and, and grow bigger and, and, and be there even longer? That's what we probably would say, humanly speaking. I'm always amazed in Christian ministry, my 27 years, and this is just my observation, and don't get mad at me, but... I want to give you my observation, okay? I'm always amazed. It seems to me that many people in Christian ministry are always climbing the ladder. Always going up. The bigger church. The better gig. Bigger name. Anybody tracking with me? I've always been kind of perplexed by that, why more people are not being led by the Holy Spirit to go the other direction. What are you saying, Pastor? This is, this is difficult for, for some people to process, especially people who are lost and in the world. Are you telling me, Pastor, that the Holy Spirit would direct someone to leave a good, healthy place to go into hardship and difficulty? That's exactly what Paul says in this text. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I, I'm always amazed. Look, look, look at the phrase there uh, in verse number, um, in verse 22. Not knowing... What will happen to me there? <laughs> in other words, there's a sense of uncertainty. I'm amazed at people that you've got to have a plan. You've got to have it down on paper. You've got to have a five-year plan and a ten-year plan. And you've got to follow the plan. You ever heard that? Paul said, I tell you what I'm doing. I'm just going to do what the Holy Spirit told me to do. I don't know what's going to happen. Here's the only thing I know, verse 23 the only thing the Holy Spirit has told me is that it's fixing to get rough. That I'm fixing to go to prison. That great afflictions await me. How many of you today would say, Pastor, I'm not ready to say, here am I, send me to that. But that's exactly what Paul says. You know why? Because he's being led by the Spirit. And let me, let me go a step further here just... As a be pastor a minute. Be careful. D don't just pick a hard path and say God's telling me to do this. Okay. You you, you better know that the Holy Spirit is that this is what God wants you to do. Don't try to be a martyr and a hero, making your own path, but go the path that God leads you into, led by the Spirit. And if it means hardship and afflictions, then so be it. Why? Because as Christians, verse 24, Paul says, I do not count my life of value. I have given my life to the Lord. It's not precious to myself. I'm not worried about me and whether or not I live and die. What I am worried about is whether or not I fulfill the ministry of the gospel of grace that God has given to me. I have received it from the Lord and I want to finish my course to do what God wants me to do. Verse 25 says, and that includes the fact that many of you that I've led and loved and discipled, that I have 
gone about doing kingdom work with that you're never going to see me again. But as I'm leaving, I want to remind you that the blood of men will not be upon my hands because I didn't shrink away from doing what God wanted me to do. I think when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm afraid I'm afraid we kind of got a couple ditches, and I don't need to chase this rabbit, but we kind of get over here in dead orthodoxy, and over here we've got this emotional things that are going on in the name of the church and the name of the Holy Spirit, and I think we've got to find the biblical basis of the work, the power of the Holy Spirit, and Christians be led by the Spirit. Be empowered by the Spirit. Do whatever it is that the Holy Spirit is leading you to do. Say to the Lord, Lord, I completely surrender to you. I yield myself to you. Cleanse my hands. Purify my heart. Fill me now with the Holy Spirit so that I may be obedient to you. Paul challenges them to do what the Spirit tells them to do. Let me move quickly and say in verse 28, he challenges them to be alert, to stay alert. Look at verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. That word care there is the word for shepherd. Shepherd the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, say it with me, church. Say it again. Be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish every one of you with tears. Stay alert. Now, remember a minute ago when I said from all indications everything was going great in Ephesus? Everything was going well. Okay. How many of you know that in the church in the kingdom work, in mission work, whatever you're doing, when things seem to be going well, the devil doesn't like it. When things seem to be going well, that's when the devil is going to do everything he can to throw a curveball, to get you distracted, to get you defeated, to get the body divided, to get people uh, even pitted against one another. The devil, the devil cannot rest. And so there's a, there's a sound word here about being on alert, really from three perspectives. Number one, what does he say? Verse 28, look in your Bible. Pay attention. Pay careful attention to who? To who? To yourself. How, how many of you know you've got, to, you've got plenty to take care of when it comes to yourself? Yeah. How many of you know it's a full-time job to keep your eyes on your own pee patch? To keep your heart right. To keep your life focused. To keep your life confessed up. <laughs> to repent of your own sins. That's why the Bible has so much to say about if we're not careful, we'll fall into the trap of having 20-20 vision for everyone else's faults and sin. And so we're, we're pointing this out and that out and you need to do this, and she needs to do that. And, and, and Paul starts at the home base. He says, the first thing you need to do is take care of yourself. You know why? Because if you don't guard your heart and, and, and stay surrendered to the Lord, and if you don't live in the power of the Holy Spirit, I promise you, I know from experience, your heart and life will drift. You'll drift away from God's call. You'll drift away from His mission. 
Paul says, pay careful, careful, careful attention to yourselves. But secondly, he goes on to say, and to who? And to those in the flock. So pay attention to yourself and then pay attention to those in the body of Christ. Now again, this is not talking about being a spiritual policeman, okay? You pulling your, uh, your, your spiritual police cruiser up to everybody else and you're just pointing out every, every fault in their life. As a matter of fact, C.S. Lewis said this, I love this. He said, the true Christian's nostril is to be continually attentive to the inner cesspool. Let me read that again so you can kind of digest that, all right? The true Christian's nostril is to be continually attentive to the inner cesspool, okay? In other words, we say things like, I smell a rat or, you know, things like that. Well, let's smell the rat in our own life, okay? Pay attention to yourself. But there is a command in the Scripture that we're to look out for one another, to keep an eye out for one another. It isn't a blessing for you parents to know there, there's other people in your life that are helping you keep an eye out for your children, looking out for them, keeping an eye on that's That's comforting, right? There's a sense in God's family, in the children of God, that we keep a watch over one another. We, uh, we look out for one another. And that, you know, that might be words of encouragement. That might be words of, of being challenged. It might be words of admonition, and it could possibly even be words of correction. Look at verse number 30. It says that this, this problem that comes up in the church, that it can even come from among the church. This division, uh, doctrinal division, is primarily the focus here, but, but division comes in all different forms, right? And that division can come from within the church. People inside the church can rise up uh, speaking twisted things to draw away disciples. And so we need to pay attention to ourselves. We need to pay attention and look out for each other in the body. But he says, be on the lookout for fierce wolves outside the church who want to come into the church and divide the church. You know, there have always been false teachers. Always. That's nothing new. I look around today and I, I see them in our day. I see... I see things, I hear things, and I'm like, you've got to be kidding. And unfortunately, unfortunately, there are people in the church that flock to them. Uh, the Bible calls them teachers having itching ears, right? Telling people what they want to hear. You know, if you think of zero being truth, 100% absolute truth, and you think of, of a 10 over here being just this absolute heretic, I mean, no question heretic off I mean, out in left field or right field, ever how you're looking at my hands right now. I mean, you just know they're out here. Over here is 100 absolute truth. You know what I think we struggle with? I think we struggle with the people in here. Okay? And you're over here, and I have people say to me, you know, I might say, man, that, you know, this person, they're, they're not preaching the gospel. And people in the church go, whoa, wait a minute. How dare you criticize a brother? Then we've got to have a debate on whether or not they're a brother. Anybody tracking with me today? You know, I, I'm, not out, I'm not out to hate anybody or dislike anybody or get to, to be mad at anybody. I don't get up in the morning and, you know, sprinkle gunpowder on my cereal. I really don't. But I'm going to tell you something. I am called to stand for the truth of the Word of God without apology. Without apology. My wife, I, I clicked on a little thing on my phone yesterday and, and I, she overheard it and this preacher was saying you know and we laughed we thought it was funny he said in my church he said we don't even 
We don't even have an apologetics class because we're not going to apologize for anything. He he was being funny, okay? He was totally being funny. We know what apologetics is. But he was trying to make the point. There comes a point where you, you don't apologize for what you believe. You stand on the Word of God. And let me say to the elders and the leaders of this church and to the Bible teachers and to the staff and to this pastor, this text talks about the overseers the bishops and the presbytery, if you will, the elders, the leaders of the church, that our primary responsibility is to watch out over the church and to make sure that false doctrine does not come into our church. Let me say one more thing. I believe when he talks about fierce wolves coming into the church, you and I live in a day because of technology and print and so many other things that fierce wolves come into the church when they're not even here physically. They don't have to physically be sitting here in the pew. How do they get into the church? They get into the church by the books you read and by the people you listen to and the people that you get their literature and then you take it in and then through members and attenders it gets brought into the fellowship. And you know what it does? It divides. It divides. So let me say this. Let me summarize this. I believe in the individual soul liberty of every believer in Jesus Christ. That you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, you have the ability to discern truth from error. You are empowered to do that. Christian, be led by the Spirit. And I'm challenging you today, stay alert for the truth of the Word of God. Let me close. Verses 32 to 38. Empowered. He challenges them. He challenges them to be completely surrendered to the Lord, to be led by the Spirit, to stay on alert. It's Christ's church, purchased with the blood of Christ. It belongs to Him. We're the overseers. We're to look out over the flock. And then Paul wraps up this legacy speech this farewell address in verse 32 by saying and now i commend you i'm turning you loose i'm commending you i'm giving you to god and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance first sunday of the new year isn't that great when you say inheritance everybody sits up and listens we have an inheritance. We have a treasure. You do believe that, don't you? We have a treasure, an inheritance among all of us who have been sanctified, made holy through the blood of Christ, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Verse 33, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Paul did not fleece the flock. Paul did not do what he did for money. It was not about financial gain. I don't have time to chase this rabbit. Peter said, you know, in the last days, uh, men are going to come and they're going to make merchandise of the people of God. Their whole goal is, how am I going to make money off of you? Paul said, the ministry God gave me, it was not about silver or gold, suits and ties and nice clothes. didn't have suits and ties, but you get the point. It was not about apparel. It's not about money. As a matter of fact, verse 35, in all things... Verse 34, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. Paul was saying, you know these hands. I was a tent maker. I worked hard. I took care of myself. He was a a bivocational missionary, if you will. 
In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how He Himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. This would have been a good message the Sunday before Christmas, wouldn't it? When He had said these things, He knelt down and prayed with them all. There was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and they kissed him. And being sorrowful, most of all, because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, they accompanied him to the ship. Anybody need a Kleenex right now? I mean, come on now. This is almost like a movie, right? He gives a farewell speech. He says, I'm leaving. As I'm leaving, I want to remind you. Hey, I want to remind you. It's all about the Lord. It's not about personal gain. It's not about you getting wealthy off the gospel. This is about hard work. Let's remember that there are people who are weak that need us. Let's remember what our Lord told us. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And I believe what Paul is emphasizing there is the importance of servant leadership, of serving the Lord, of serving Him. Not serving ourselves, but serving the Lord. Of giving our life away. And you know what they did? Paul knelt down and prayed with them. He stood up. They hugged him. They kissed him. They cr- they're crying. They're weeping. They walk down. They put him on the ship. And he sails off. You know what Paul did before he left? He was turning them loose. Just as Jesus left his disciples, he told them, said, greater works than these you're going to do. I'm leaving. Get to work. Paul leaves. Get to work. So the message for us today on this first Sunday of of 2019 is that Christians, we are all empowered to serve. And what I want to say to you today is is that by God's grace, you're being being released into this year, into the days and the weeks and the months ahead to give your life for the sake of the gospel. To, to, if you will, get off the sidelines. Some of you are are already engaged in the kingdom and it's, it's really just a matter of the what and the when and the where. You're ready and you're hungry and you want to serve the Lord. But I'm afraid too many of us are sitting on the sidelines and we're just kind of, we're indecisive and we're wallowing and, and we think that commitment and surrender are for full-time missionaries. That's for pastors. Oh no. That's for every single one of us that claim the name of Christ. Christians, wave at me. You're a Christian, wave at me today. Okay. You're exactly, you're exactly who this passage is speaking to today. Now look at me and I'm done. I believe 2019 is, is going to be a great year. I, I really believe that. And, and I'll tell you why. Because I believe with all my heart that God is at work. God is at work. I see it. I know it. I know that God's at work in my life. I wish I could tell you about my week and, and some of the things that, that, that God allowed me to go through and to, and to learn and to see and to experience. It was, a, it, was a, it was a really good week for me personally. Tuesday night we have a, a, our first leadership ministry team meeting of the year. It's our, our leaders of our church, our elders, if you will, our staff and our deacons and our leaders. And, and we're going to get together and we're going to talk about, you know, values and roles and responsibilities and this coming year and what it, what what does God have for us what's out in front of us how are we going to be engaged what are our responsibilities going to be ministry team leader meeting coming up in a few weeks and and, and just 
we believe there's we believe there's kingdom work and ministry to be done right here but you know what in order for that work to get done there has to be a wholesale sellout from the body of christ that says yes to the mission and the vision that god has given us in his word for this church and this community and i pray in some way the holy spirit is is speaking to you right now i'm speaking to some dads and god's saying to you your wife and your children are watching you are you are you modeling and being an example of being sold out to the lord i'm speaking to some moms your children are watching your family's watching you young people your classmates are watching you people your neighbors are people are watching us acts 20 17 through 18 reminds us that we're all sent out turn loose to be busy doing the work